Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Quadcast. Quadcast is a podcast aimed primarily at alumni of Oxford University. Each episode will be around 20 minutes long and you can always find them at podcasts.ox.ac.uk. That's podcasts with an S. We'll be interviewing someone related to Oxford University every episode, whether they're an academic, a leader or a former student of the university. And we'll also be keeping you up to date with news, events and research from across the university and from our online magazine for alumni, Quad. That was Tabitha Whiting, content creator and social media manager for the Oxford Alumni Relations Office. She's an alumna of Corpus Christi College, Oxford, and matriculated in 2012 to study English language and literature. And that was Richard Lofthouse. He's the editor of our alumni magazine, Online and in Print, which is now called Quad and was formerly Oxford Today. He's also an alumnus of Lady Margaret Hall and matriculated in 1990 to study modern history. And we're your presenters for Quadcast. So am I right, Tabitha, that you must have graduated pretty recently? Yes, three years ago in 2015. Ah, so, okay, so Tabitha has the great insight of relative youth while I graduated in 1993, so I've been around a little bit longer. Um, I went off to America to do a PhD and then taught briefly back at Oxford. And now I'm back here as a journalist. We're going to start with News in Brief, is that right? Yes, that's right. So the first section of this podcast is going to be News in Brief, where we'll do a quick roundup of news from the university. So the first piece for News in Brief this month is that in October, Professor Louise Richardson, who is Oxford's Vice-Chancellor, delivered her oration, which is an annual speech which looks at the past year and the plans for the future of the university. One interesting thing to note from the oration this year is that Oxford admitted more postgraduate students than undergraduates for the first time ever in 2018. To support this, the Vice-Chancellor has committed to the construction of at least one new graduate college in Oxford over the next five years. October also saw the launch of the university's latest public engagement campaign, which showcases the research being done around the university on artificial intelligence. From using artificial intelligence to diagnose heart disease to looking at the safety and ethics of AI. You can join in the discussion online uh, using the hashtag Oxford AI or going to a dedicated microsite www.ox.ac.uk forward slash AI. So an item of news we've just uh, become aware of is that a student startup called Metronome Energy has won a very prestigious $20,000 prize from Shell um, from their Livewire Top 10 Innovators competition. Brilliant. So what's he been working on for that? Well, my understanding is that Josh and his uh, colleague Daryl have developed some very clever software to balance energy consumption with particular focus on farmers and farming because farms apparently are very large users of energy. Sounds like a brilliant initiative. Yeah, well, it's prestigious that they've won this and I'm sure there will be quite a lot of people at the university who will be very excited that he's won this competition. And finally, we're very excited to be heading to Tokyo for our next Meeting Minds Alumni Weekend. If you haven't been to one of those before, they're a brilliant opportunity to reconnect with Oxford University and to meet some of your fellow alumni. 
we have a full academic program this time featuring high profile speakers such as the governor of the Bank of Japan, who's going to be speaking about Japan's current economic situation. So that should be really interesting. There are also lots of chances to explore Tokyo during the weekend with walking tours and a floating brunch on Tokyo Bay. You can find out more by searching for hashtag MMTokyo2019 on social media. And we'll also leave the link to the booking website in the description of this podcast. For the next section of Quadcast, we have our interview. This month, we went to the Career Service at 56 Banbury Road in Oxford to speak to Jonathan Black. Jonathan Black has been the director of the Career Service for 10 years and also currently writes a fortnightly column for the Financial Times called Dear Jonathan, where he answers readers' uh, questions about their careers. So let's head off to Banbury Road to speak to Jonathan. So first of all, we wanted to chat about Oxford students and their careers. So the stereotype tends to say that all Oxford students go on to become high court judges and investment bankers. So we're wondering if in your experience that's true. So could you give us a quick breakdown of where Oxford students tend to go on to? Right, so if it's not High Court Judge or Westminster or the BBC, you're right, it is actually about a quarter go into education. Uh, Of the ones who go straight into work, it's 20% go into school teaching or working in a school. Um, That's always a myth for uh, the press when they find that out. The city, I suppose, if you take all of the city together, banking, consulting, accountancy, that probably is another 20%, but those are all very disparate groups of people. And after that, it's everything else, from charities to lords, computing, media, arts and heritage, sports, leisure, tourism. So there's a wide, wide range. This is really important when we're doing widening participation work with school students to think, what am I going to do with a history degree at Oxford? Anything is the answer. So there's actually a really broad range of careers there. So have you seen any kind of changes in recent years in those careers that students are going on to have? Um, I would say it's a slow change if there's any change in Oxford. Um, Banking comes and goes depending on that sector. Uh, We've seen a slight growth in interest in doing startups and entrepreneurship. So we do a careers registration questionnaire at the beginning of the year for every student, returners and new, undergraduate and graduate, so it's about 24,000 people. Um, And in the last three years, interest in doing a startup has grown from 15 to 24%. They can tick more than one box, but so about a quarter of them have said, I could be interested in being an entrepreneur. I think teaching, we mentioned education, school teaching has been important, but I think we've reached a peak of teaching, um, mainly because it's a very tight job market, and so a lot of people are competing. If you think only 3,000, about 3,000 people leave Oxford and go straight into work, 2,000 undergraduates and about 1,000, 1,500 graduates, that's a very small pool, and we have about 6,000 recruiters on the books. so. It's a high, they are highly competed for. Yes, and one thing that we keep hearing about um, in the careers world is the idea of career change and people kind of completely changing their career path partway mm-hmm. through. I know that you also write a fortnightly column for the Financial Times called Dear Jonathan, um, and this was at the heart of one of your recent questions around moving from the public to the private sector. Um, and you've also, in your own career, had kind of a variety of different roles and different sectors that you've worked in. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on why career change is such a hot topic at the moment um, and your thoughts on that. Okay, so this, we did a survey of about 15,000 Oxford alumni uh, six years ago, asking them how long they'd stayed in each sector, how many sectors they'd worked in. And 
people change depending on the sector. So law, for example, is quite a sticky sector. People tend to stay in that and one other. Whereas hospitality and tourism, people have probably worked in five or six sectors. So it, the answer to your question is it varies by sector that people have been in. Yes, I've uh, so um, I've probably worked. Oh, I've worked in publishing and bank uh, consultancy and engineering and now higher education and um, aircraft and so on. Um, but I think I always thought you could work on lots of different things. And given I, I figure we're only here once, as far as we know, we might as well try lots of different jobs as we go along. Um, we're all building these transferable skills that can be worked from one job to another. So. I think it's just out there if you want to go for it, but not if you don't. Um, why is it more important? Well, so yes, one of the most recent FT columns was a woman in her late thirties after ten years, mid thirties after ten years, wanting to move from the public to the private sector. Part of the question there is, you know, is that if that's the answer, you know, what's the real question? And is the real question I just want to change? Is it about the sector? Let's not get too focused on sector. Um, and secondly, you know, what, what are the transferable skills you've learnt in the public sector that you can then go and use, which are many. You've had to learn to work with very tight budgets, probably decreasing all the time, and with um, political masters and with uh, uh, very complex organisations where you don't have a lot of power, but you have a lot of influence. So if you had to give someone a piece of advice who was who did think they wanted to change career, would it be around looking at those transferable skills that they'd built up and how they could use those in another path? Yes, but I'd actually, that's one of the first steps. The other first step is to work out what you actually want to do and what you're good at uh, and what you enjoy doing. It's that whole, the three circles about what I'm good at, what I, uh, what I enjoy doing, and what someone will pay me to do. Because mm -hmm. you might be good at and enjoy, um, you know, ballroom dancing, but very few people actually get paid to do that. So you have to find the sweet spot with all three. Um, so work that out, and part of that is working out what you're good at, what your transferable skills are that you've got, and what you can talk about. Uh, we spend a lot of time with Oxford students and alumni about, but what have you actually What are you able to do? And I think employers get it because we can. They know that Oxford students work really hard, and they can. They can take five books on Napoleon and digest them by Wednesday and write a four-page essay, present it and defend it. And that, of course, is what a lot of work looks like. You know, you get a lot of stuff to do and by Wednesday we need a proposal. So employers recognise that. Um, and that goes on through life. So start thinking about what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. And then, and then you can think about the sector. And then maybe private, public this country, another country, education. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the easier bit after that, once you know where you're aiming. Absolutely. And going back to your Financial Times mm -hmm. column, so you've been the director of the Career Service in Oxford for 10 years, mm -hmm. but you've only started your column this year with Financial Times. So I'm wondering yeah. if there's anything you've learned about careers from writing the column and answering those questions from the public that you haven't encountered or come across oh. so far. Well, Given we've got people of all ages writing the questions, yes, we do tend to get a slightly different set compared to seeing undergraduate and graduate students. Um, well, there are quite a lot of commonality as well, but a lot of it is around, some of it, I mean, two columns ago we had um, how you balance uh, childcare and a career. Um, we don't tend to get that with students. Um, that, that was a woman saying, do I give up my career to look after the three children under seven or do I stick with the career? Um, the other thing, I, the other big difference with the FT versus uh, Oxford is, you know, we, we are impartial and balanced and we're not directive. 
So we would, know, we would say, well, on the one hand, you might want to think about this with a student, but on the other hand, there's that. That doesn't sell newspapers. So what the FT wants is come down on one side or the other and tell me what, you know, what, what do you feel? On that particular column, you may have seen it, I said the woman actually had to stay at work. You've got to keep the career going. Children grow up and you want, you want something to keep on going. But we've all been there at three in the morning with a sick child and had to get up for eight o'clock meeting with a client. So, but that passes. Um, so that's a different sort of question to what we'd get with an undergraduate. Mm, yeah, absolutely, you can see that. And you were telling me earlier that, that the column has come out of your, your recent book, which is... Yeah, so a year ago um, I, got, I was commissioned to write a book for Little Brown, um, which at the time we called uh, Where Am I Going and Can I Have a Map? Which is three sections around, you know, what's the view from 30,000 feet? What's the point of this whole career discussion? What's the overall aim? And then the second section is around, well, what do I do on Monday morning? How do I write a CV? How do I do go for an information interview and so on? And the third section is then about what happens when things go wrong, when I didn't get the job or I didn't, this, these things didn't happen, how you pick yourself up and keep on going. So um, it was kind of collecting everything that I'd learned over, well, my whole career, but most recently nine years here. And then it, it turned into that column. In a way, it turned into that column. Brilliant. Um, so our listenership of the podcast are Oxford alumni, yep. so we're here in the careers service and we know that you have a dedicated careers advisor for alumni, um, so could you tell us a bit about how alumni can make use of the careers service? Right, absolutely, we're delighted to work with alumni. Um, we have, uh, I was telling you earlier, we're the only UK, well the only careers service I know of that has a dedicated alumni careers advisor, he does about seven or 800 Skypes a year all throughout the year, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, uh, his most, uh, one he had recently was with a man on a fishing boat outside Greenland. I mean, it's a big fishing ship, um, but he was doing a Skype about his career and his plans. So Mike does half hour of calls. You can uh, either call um, reception, uh, the Oxford Career Service, or you can email reception at careers.ox.ac.uk. Um, that will also get you uh, access, you can get access to Career Connect, which is the um, events and vacancy database. Alumni are welcome to any event. Mike also runs um, alumni at careers fairs half an hour before every careers fair. So for people, you know, maybe if you're 50 or 60, you're not going to come back for the finance fair. But if you're 30 or 25 or 35, you're always welcome at those fairs. And he'll run a session beforehand um, for, for alumni to come to that. Uh, and then one-to-ones are generally by Skype because people are away. But we can also do them face-to-face if you're here um, and any other employer events. Mike also writes a newsletter once a month. Um, uh, unlike me in the FT, he appears not to have any word count, so he can write loquaciously about the most recent reading. Um, he has about 10,000 readers so, uh, who often write back saying how much they appreciate it, so that's great. I mean, I think it's really important we do that, that we work with alumni and we support alumni for life. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's what Oxford must do and should do. Mm, so that's brilliant to know that this, this service is here for alumni forever. And mm-hmm. That's great. So to finish off the interview, um, could you tell us in one sentence what your best piece of advice is to an Oxford student who's just graduated and is looking for their first time job? Oh, the first time job. Uh, One piece of advice is every job should give you more choice and more control of your life uh, ready for the next job. So don't take something that, don't look into jobs that are going to narrow you down, but look at things that are going to give you more choices as you go along.
Mm. I think that's a really valuable piece of advice and it kind of goes back to those career change things that we were talking about Mm -hmm. earlier. Indeed. So that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been great to talk to you today. Yeah, good to talk. You're welcome anytime. (laughs) Thank you. So that was Jonathan Black being interviewed by Tabitha. Great to hear about the fact that all alumni are welcome now at the Oxford Career Service for Life. I hadn't really realised that. No, me neither. I hadn't realised that they had a person dedicated to alumni, so that's brilliant. So we'll put the details of the Career Service in the podcast description, but if you have a careers question, look up Oxford Career Service and the person who will be answering your questions is a chap called Mike Moss. So now we have a couple of highlights from Quad Online, which is our digital magazine for alumni. This month we interviewed Asha Davos, who studied in the zoology department here at Oxford University, and she now works in marine conservation in Sri Lanka. Specifically, she works with blue whales. There's an interesting story in there about her inspiration for pursuing this career path, which came from a giant pile of floating whale poop, if you can believe it. So we've had a very rich crop of books this month. Uh, It's the typical thing that we find in autumn as the days get shorter. I'm going to mention just three of them very, very briefly. The first one is David Dwan. He was a student at Oxford originally, matriculating from St Anne's in 1994, went off to other universities and has come back as an associate professor in the Faculty of English. So I interviewed David this morning and he was telling me about his book Liberty, Equality and Humbug, Orwell's Political Ideals. So his purpose in writing this book is to consider whether or not George Orwell had a coherent political philosophy. And if it's inconsistent and contradictory, does that matter? Very timely. It wasn't his purpose, but he did mention to me that 1984, Orwell's dystopian novel, has become a bestseller in North America since the election of Trump. So as he then said, as David then said, Uh, it's very timely for him to have published this book on Orwell. The second book I'm going to mention is by Peter Deverne, who is a professor of international relations at the University of British Columbia in Canada. He visited Oxford and the School of Geography earlier this week and spoke on the subject of artificial intelligence and the future of sustainability. And in doing so, he was noting his new book, which is called Genius Squared. And there's a fuller article about that on the Quad website. Thirdly and finally, I wanted to mention a professor at the Said Business School of Oxford, Colin Mayer. Colin Mayer has just published a book called Prosperity, and it is quite a landmark. Uh, It brings together a lot of research produced under the auspices of a British Academy-led research programme about redefining the corporation for the 21st century. And in doing that, he finds himself trying to get away from the legacy of Milton Friedman and the Chicago School of Economics. So that's a huge subject, and it's a significant book, so I thought I would mention it. But this and all other books and quite a lot more that I have not mentioned here can be read about at the Quad website. And that brings us to the end of our very first episode of Quadcast. 
We'll be releasing a new episode every month and you can always find them at podcasts.ox.ac.uk as we mentioned at the start and you can also find them on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this first episode and any suggestions you have for people that you'd love us to interview in future. So get in touch using hashtag quadcast on social media and tag us at Oxford Alumni. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next month. Bye.